0: Hello, I am Mark Tallman with KASB, and it is no secret the concerns we have about school safety. We're going to be bringing you several uh, presentations about topics in school safety this year. Uh, Right now, we're going to talk a little bit with Dr. Randy Wiesman, who is the assistant executive director. We work together all the time uh, for operations and chief financial officer here at KASB. I'd like Randy to kind of start by kind of talking about how, from that role, you've gotten interested and started doing this work, particularly on safety issues, a little bit about your background, and
1: then we can move into what you want to share. Well, like most things in the leadership division, it's driven by what our members want and need. And over the past couple of years, we've been hearing a lot from members asking for references on what we would call technical support uh, items, things like uh, video systems, metal detectors, most of the things that we hear in the news and we talk about that are referenced with school safety, but they tend to be more reactive than preventative. You know, my background is uh, a superintendent of schools for, and a career in public education for going on about 45 years now. And so I've uh, seen school safety and security evolve. Mm -hmm. And I took an interest really two years ago when it became clear to me that what we really started and what we really need to start to look at is the preventative uh, methods that are involved and what was the research behind the preventative methods. And also what kind of research after 20 years since we had the Columbine event when the real national discussion on on school safety started. What's been done? What do we know about what works? And what can we further do to not only react when these kind of events happen, but how can we be more proactive and preventative?
0: Because uh, the one thing we know is that talking about 20 years ago, which seems a remarkable amount yes. of time, uh, is that we, we still have these concerns, these things still happen, so we're still struggling with the best way for schools to respond.
1: And, and the reality of it is we tend to talk about the most horrific events, right. when the reality is, is that those kind of events are fairly rare. Uh, but we have to prepare for those. Right. We have to have worst-case scenario. But uh, the day-to-day activity of a school administrator or superintendent, as managed by the board, is uh, is are things that are a must. You know, we we talk a lot about bullying, all kinds of events that would be classified in the school violence category that don't rise to the level of school shooters and things like that. So of recent, what we've started to hear from people is, is there a model out there for assessing threat in our buildings and facilities that has a research base to it that could help prevent these things? So I've been involved with a group out of uh, Colorado and then one in Virginia, uh, two particular researchers was. I'll talk about in a minute, that have researched this for well over 20 years. One is a criminologist, one is a forensic psychologist. So it's research that's necess- that is probably outside the K-12 field, but involves participants within yeah. the K-12 field. So um, we work under... In our leadership division, if you've listened to our people talk about change, right. then yes. you've heard uh, our folks talk about um, Ron uh, Heifetz's work out of Harvard, which is technical versus adaptive leadership. And um, to make that you know a simple, technical challenges in this context tend to be things that I mentioned before, like uh, um, uh, uh, school lockdowns, Uh, metal detectors, you're starting to see new technologies introduced like facial recognition and what we're discovering is those are real expensive and I'll show you some figures in a little bit of just how that's escalated, the cost has escalated just in these technical solutions. On the adaptive side, which is a more difficult leadership challenge, um, adaptive challenges require changing people's values, beliefs and habits. And so you need something that's gonna be able to measure that and we have now a protocol called the uh, Comprehensive School Threat Assessment Guidelines out of the University of Virginia from Dr. Cornell that we'll be doing a training on in October. Uh, But what it does is help vet the threats that are received on a daily basis in a school through a five step model.
0: So the issue here then, just just to be clear, is this is really about trying to identify what you need to worry about in advance so Mm -hmm. that you're in a better position to respond. So the the key is, as we're dealing with all these kids, all these issues going on, what does the research tell us are things we can look at to
1: Mm -hmm. try to identify? What do we need to take seriously? Right, and some of the work that Sarah Goodrum's been doing out of the University of Northern Colorado is really resonating across the United States. What they did was they examined uh, an incident at Arapaho High School in 2013 where a student came back to the school angry at a teacher and uh, it resulted in the death of one of the students the family in lieu of suing the district authorized this research and with the premise that the results of this research be shared with school districts across the United States I'm part of that group that's what I'm doing okay what they found in this research is that there were three failures they received over 27 red flags that this particular student was had uh, was pr- prone towards violence and um To make a long story short, the three areas were information sharing. There was a confusion about how information was shared with law enforcement and with mental health agencies because of their limited understanding of FERPA. What people don't realize about FERPA, the privacy of the right law, is that there's an exclusion in there for school safety issues where you can interface with the appropriate agencies, most specifically law enforcement and mental health, to start to intervene and Stop these things f- before they even happen. So, they also found that there was, although there was a threat assessment model in the Rapoho High School, it wasn't done with fidelity. It was something they cherry-picked, basically, uh, from other sources. It was never vetted. It was never validated. It was never researched. And um, the second, the third thing was a systems failure thinking. And and that is understanding how everything is connected within a school system and how that interfaces with law enforcement and mental health what this particular model these guidelines do is provide a a protocol a series of steps that a a school threat assessment team can do using people you already have in your school which makes it real cost-effective. Uh, you don't have to hire people. You can do, at least the training we're offering, can be done for a team for around $500. That makes it very cost-effective. They provide all the tools, all the forms where are in the t- public domain. There's nothing to buy, there's nothing to purchase, there's no subscription fees, and we see a lot of for-profit assessment models out there. This one is, the people behind this model Uh, are doing it purely for altruistic reasons and to get this research in the hands of practitioners so that it can make a difference out there. And um, what we found is the research on it produces pretty darn good results. Um, uh, And it's also based on the work done by the Secret Service. There are six principles that were outlined about in the year 2000 shortly after Uh, um, Columbine. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember the Secret Service has been in the threat assessment business since the end of the Civil War. So it's something they use on a day-to-day basis. And particular emphasis in the Secret Service is that it's done with fidelity, and it's done uh, based on uh, pretty strict protocols. So, you know, basically I won't outline every principle, but what they know is targeted violence is a result of Uh, An understandable process, and it's usually uh, uh, projected or telegraphed in advance. Uh, You have to consider the situation, the person, the setting, the target, Uh, maintain an investigative, skeptical mindset, and what people need to understand there's no profile for school violence. We can't predict by a student's personality characteristics, that they're gonna be prone to violence. That doesn't exist. Some typologies are trying to be formed, but in general, analyzing and vetting every particular threat made is very important. And you need to understand the difference between posing a threat and making a threat. If you've been in schools at all, as an administrator, a teacher, you realize how many things are said off the cuff or in the heat of anger that basically can be extinguished uh, through what we call transient threats. It was something that was said in the heat of the moment. And after a discussion with the student, you can probably retire that. Ones that fit that other criteria rise to what they call substantive threat and the top layer the top one or two percent would be serious substantive where you would involve law enforcement and mental health so our training involves training these teams to use this protocol with the appropriate forms that are in the public domain and uh, and actually measuring what the outcomes it produces there's a five-step model that uh, Dr. Cornell has put together. It's refined from seven steps. Um, the research on it is, uh, has done this. It's reduced anxiety for staff. Um, what they've discovered that if this is used with fidelity and there are ways to measure the fidelity and uh, of it, that fewer than 1% of the threats made are ever carried out, um, fewer than 2% are expelled or subject to legal action. So it has the effect. I have great data on that in the presentations I do that show lowering of suspension, lowering of expulsions. Uh, a 50% reduction in the data out of Virginia in terms of the reduction in long-term suspension, and these are all goals that most school right. districts have. Right. So, so,
0: so in other words, this is a system that, while you may start thinking about it because you want to avoid the the catastrophic, you mm-hmm. know, uh, event that we all want to avoid, mm-hmm. which is still mercifully rare, there's a lot of spin-off benefits involved with doing it. It, it, it you know, the the, it, exactly. the the advantage is not simply exactly. we stop another mass shooting. Exactly. It's that that these sorts of things can have a lot of other benefits to, to our students and our school community?
1: I mean, statistically, a homicide will occur in your school about every 6,000 years. It's very rare, but when it happens, We all know what happens. Uh, What we're really interested to hear, obviously, is stopping the high-level events, but all those things that are happening, there's been a reduction in bullying, big discussion in our state about bullying. This has been proven within the research to reduce bullying, because bullying, a lot of times, someone being bullied will do what in response? make a threat. Exactly. So, it really dovetails very nicely with our action on bullying and our discussions on bullying. It it, uh, more increased counseling and parent involvement. Um, and it's recognized through the registry of evidence-based programs, which almost no one has heard of. And the reason is, is that program, that government agency reviews protocols for things like opioid addition, mostly medical things where they're providing interventions. This is one of the few behavioral models that's been accepted by the registry. Two years of submissions of research is what it takes to get their endorsement. So it's, it's, it's in the registry of evidence-based models that work, that there's a sound research base behind. That's what attracted me to it. And um, it starts to alleviate the three things that people just do not like in their schools. And that's one, uncertainty, two, disorder, and three, uncontrolled rapid change. We all believe change is important. How you institute that change through technical and adaptive solutions and leadership is is basically the role that KSB plays. The state's doing a great job now, really involved in school safety and security, a great resource for uh, technical solutions and also for working to uh, allow a smoother interface with law enforcement and mental health. Okay. All right. Well, it seems to me
0: that there's a couple of things that uh, I want to make sure I understand it seems real sure. important. Number one is that these these events that we're trying to avoid are not just random. There is generally a purpose. So something's driving the individual, and almost invariably, someone knows about that. You can spot it if you're paying attention, so it isn't just Well, we just, you know, bolt of lightning
1: out of the blue. Let me give you a stat on that. The the Secret Service, since 1974, has been keeping data on this. Ninety-seven percent of school violence, school attacks, studied the planner, the attacker telegraphed it weeks, if not months, ahead of time. So it is truly...
0: 93%. So uh, it's simply not the case that a shooter just wakes up some morning, doesn't tell anyone, arrives at school, and there was no warning.
1: And actually 81% of the 93 told another person. That person knew it, and a lot of times just didn't know who to talk to. Second point I took out of this is to say uh, that at the
0: same time you have to use some judgment there is that difference between what making a threat posing a threat making sure you're looking at actual factual situations and not just you know kind of i guess overreacting might be one way of putting it
1: yeah we tend to not Look at zero tolerance as being the solution here. Right, um, and you've, we've seen a lot of incidents where uh, the one that I tend to talk about in my training is a third-grade student carved a what looked like a gun out of a pop tart and was suspended. Okay. We have to use common sense in these instances and understand developmentally, kids are going to say things, and it. What it takes are trained, responsible, professional people in our schools to. Counsel them and vet these particular threats, and see if they where they move on the continuum. And the flow chart that we put up earlier is a, is a condensed form of what this process looks like. So, and and again, it's been researched extensively over the last fifteen years. And the final point is putting
0: putting these sorts of procedures, policies, philosophy in place has other benefits beyond the immediate, you know, the the safety in that mm-hmm. case broader impacts uh, that is very much what districts are are looking for anyway, creating a healthier school climate, people knowing, you know, trusting they can talk
1: to someone, they can get that information, reducing fear, bullying, those kinds of issues. And and it makes you more efficient in terms of your administration of a comprehensive school safety and security program. If you look at uh, the expenditures now, it's, uh, it's risen by several billion dollars just in the last couple of years. I would go to school safety. Conferences two years ago, and there would be four vendors. Now there are fifty, and it's it's a marketplace now from everything from door stops to uh, facial recognition. So a lot of what we hear is how are we going to be able to afford all this? Well, the reality is if you want to put your resources and your effort into a research-based program that actually alleviates these things from even servicing, then this is one you need to take a look
0: at. Well, then I guess the final thing our audience no doubt is interested in: how can they? get more information if they want to put this into practice? What what can KASB do to help?
1: Well, we've got three. Um Uh, seminars uh, set up for September 10th, 11th and 12th. One in McPherson, one in Colby and one in Olathe. I'll be speaking on this. It's a three hour session. I'll go over all the research. I'll discuss what we know through research has been effective in preventing school violence and what is effective should one surface in terms of reacting to it. And then also we're bringing in uh, a trainer from uh, the the, uh, Center for uh, Uh, the Center for the Alleviation of School Violence out of Virginia, Dr. uh uh, Cornell's group, will come in and do a training on the 28th. I will say that's already three quarters full, just through word of mouth. So I imagine we'll be scheduling a couple other trainings. It's a full day training, you're given all the materials, and uh, you're provided access to this center for the reduction of violence. Well, that sounds outstanding. Is there anything else
0: you can add people need to know about at this point?
1: Now, if I can be of any help or answer any questions, I'm available here at KASB. Easy to find. Just call and ask for Randy, and we
0: can visit about it. Well, that's fantastic. Well, listen, we certainly hope uh, our school leaders will will take advantage of these opportunities. We'll hope to see many of you at, at some of the meetings that we're putting on, uh, both for school board members and school leaders. And, of course, if there's any any help we can provide you, as KASB, let us know. You can find someone to call. Randy, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be here.